Today we're going to learn the fourth sicha of Parsha's Truma from Chelek Tezayin. Now, Parsha's Truma is the Parsha where we start learning all about the Mishkan. And the Pasuk says, Va'asu li mikdash, right? Hashem says, you shall make for me a sanctuary. And the goal is, V'shachanti b'soicham, so I should dwell within them or within it. Um, the goal of the purpose of building a Mishkan or building a Beis HaMikdash is that this should be a place where Hashem can rest and Hashem can uh, reveal himself. Now, the Rambam explains that the primary purpose or function of the Beis HaMikdash is to serve Hashem through bringing up Karbanos, um, which would tell us that the one of the mo- really most integral components of the Beis HaMikdash were the Mizbeach, or the two Mizbeachs. I don't even know how you would say it in English. Um, you have the the larger Mizbeach, the Mizbeach in the courtyard, Mizbeach HaChitzayin, also known as the Mizbeach HaNechoshes, the copper Mizbeach, and then the upon which most Karbanos were brought. And then there's the smaller Mizbeach, or the golden Mizbeach, right, that was inside the sanctuary. We call that the Mizbeach HaPnimi, or the Mizbeach HaZahav, right, the golden altar. Um, and these would have been a really integral part of the of the Mishkan and of the Beis HaMikdash. Now, Hasidus teaches us that the command to build a Beis Hamikdash did not just apply um, into you know to a specific place in, in Yerushalayim or the Mishkan in the Midbar um, or for a specific time period, but this command also applies to every, each and every Jew, um, each and every no matter where they are, no matter no matter at what point in history they're living, uh, because as the Medrash says, the Medrash points out that of what the the, the pasuk does not say make for me a Mikdash v'shachanti b'soychoi and I will dwell within it, but rather it says, and I will dwell within them, um, which means that Hashem would, like to, Hashem would like to rest or dwell in each and every Jew. Right? There's a command in a, in a more figurative or spiritual sense, we are commanded to make our own home, to our own, um, our own heart, our own mind, our own life, uh, in a, a place where Hashem, can, where Hashem can rest and Hashem can be comfortable. So what this is going to do here is it's actually a hadrin, which means a seum on Meseches Chagiga. And the Rebbe is going to focus on the end, the last part of Meseches Chagiga, which discusses actually both of the Mizbeachs, which talks about the Mizbeachs. And we'll ha- learn a teaching regarding uh, both the golden and the copper Mizbeach. And then we will also be able to derive a beautiful lesson regarding how to how, uh, how we can serve Hashem, a beautiful lesson in our Avodah Hashem and in our personal and our personal mikdash that we make for Hashem. Okay, so in the at the end of Maseches Chagigar, the last Mishnah that's quoted there says the following: It says, "Call Hakelim Shahayu b'Mikdash." All of the kalim that there were in the base hamikdash tounin tevila required require required tevila. Meaning, after each one of the shalish regalim, once the yamtiv ended, they would go and toivul all of the kalim in the base hamikdash uh, because out of the concern that the kalim became tummy. There were many people that came that entered 
uh, the base Hamikdash, including some Kohanim that were Amiha Aretz. And Amiha Aretz is an unlearned person that is not familiar with all of the many nuances and in the halachas of Tumah and Tara. And there's always a concern that Amiha Aretz is unwittingly tummy. And the Amiha Aretz may have made the Kalim tummy. So after Yom Tiv ended, they would toivel all the Kalim in the base Hamikdash. Chutz mi Mizbeach Hazahov, except for the golden Mizbeach, Mizbeach Hazahov, U Mizbeach Hanachoshes, and the Mizbeach Hanachoshes, the copper Mizbeach. They did not need to be toiveled. Why not? The Mishnah answers, Mipnei Shehein Kikarka, Divrei Rebeliezer. Rebeliezer answers, because they are like the earth. They're considered like earth. Earth cannot be Makabal Tumah. The Chachamim and the Chachamim give a different answer. They say, because they are coated, they're plated, meaning it's not pure gold or silver, they're coated with gold and silver. The Gemara explains both of these opinions and says, explains Rebbe Eliezer's opinion. Where does Rebbe Eliezer get this idea that the Mizbeach is considered like Karka, is considered like the earth? Uh, so the Gemara says, where do we know that the copper Mizbeach is considered like earth? As it says, Mizbach Adama Tasali. The Pasuk calls this Mizbeach an earthen Mizbeach, Mizbach Adama, um, and Mizbeach Hazahov. How do we know that the golden Mizbeach is also considered like the earth? Dichsiv, as it says in a different Pasuk, the Menorah and the Mizbachos. The Mizbachos are like compared to each other, meaning in this Pasuk they're lumped together and they're considered like a single unit. So just like the Mizbeach Hanachoshes is called Adama, is considered like the earth and cannot become Tomei, so too the Mizbeach Hazahov is also considered like the Adama or the Karka. Then the Gemara explains the Chachamim's opinion. Right? The Chachamim said, because they are plated. That's why you don't need a toivel them. And the Gemara first asks and says, Adra, but just the opposite. Being that they're plated, they should become tame. Meaning, if the Mizbeach were not plated, if they were just made out of wood, uh, then they would not be able to become tame. Because the halacha is that a wooden vessel, a clay eight's a wooden vessel that is made to be stationary cannot become tummy. So if they were just wood, then they wouldn't be able to become to be tummy. But being that they're plated, they're covered with gold and silver, which these metals can become tummy, then that should then they should be able to become tummy. So what is the what do the Chachamim mean when they say So one way the Gemara explains this is that it says, Ema, we can answer. That the Chachamim actually have a different opinion and they hold that the Mizbeach could become Tameh because they are plated. Meaning that you actually would need, that Rebbe Liezer says you don't need to toivel the Mizbeach. And the, uh, the Chachamim say you do need to toivel both of the Mizbeach after Yom Tiv because they're plated and they could become Tameh. And then the Gemara gives you an alternate way of understanding these words, and says, and if you'd like, you can say, right, another way we can interpret this Mishnah is that the Chachamim said to Rebbe Liezer, right, after Rebbe Liezer said that the Mizbeach are considered like Kargal, so they told him, my daitech, What's your rationale? Like, explain your opinion. Why is it that you? Uh, why is it that you uh, need to come up with this proof that the mizbeas are considered like earth? 
Mishum de Mitsupin, because the Mizbeach is plated, meaning being that they're plated with metal, you think they could become Tame, and therefore you have to find some other rationale, some other reason to explain why they don't become Tame. No, in this case, that, that, that shouldn't make a difference. May battle battle tsipuyin gabaihu. The covering, the plating, the metal plating is nullified, is not considered, um, is, is, is not, doesn't really have any value um, and is nullified. The way Rashi explains this is that even though, the Chachamim say, even though as a general rule, when a keli is plated with a metal, when it's coated with a metal, it could become tame, right? Because this metal could become tame. In the case of the Mizbeach, it's different. Being that the Torah calls the Mizbeach wood, there's actually a pasuk in Yecheskel where it says, Mizbeach eats, right? Calls the Mizbeach wood. Being that the Torah defines it as being wooden, that means that the metal plating is actually in this case insignificant um, and the, the, the Mizbeach does not, the Mizbeach cannot become Tameh. It's considered like a cleats, it cannot become Tameh and we don't even need the reasoning of that they are considered like Adama, that they're considered like Karka. And so this is the way that Rashi explains and understands this Gemara and this is the way the Gemara is generally uh, understood. However, the Rambam has a different way of explaining this Gemara. If you look at the Rambam in his Pirosha Mishnayis, he interprets this Mishnah uh, and the Gemara differently. And the Rambam Paskins that when you have, when there is a vessel, um, a vessel that has a base kibble, meaning that has a receptacle that's able to hold something um, that is plated, right? That's plated with whatever, a certain metal, or it doesn't really matter what it's plated with. A plated vessel cannot become tummy, no matter what the vessel is. The, Rab, the Rambam learns this is based on a certain medrash halacha called the Sifra, where the Sifra learns out from a certain pasuk that even though kalim can very, very often become tamay, this cannot, this does not apply to a plated lechafuye kalim, to kalim that are plated, meaning being that this Kaylee, this vessel, um, that it has a certain receptacle to hold things, but it's plated. There's something on top of it. The coating or the plating sort of like prevents, serves as this buffer or a barrier against the vessel and prevents the vessel from being able to become tummy. That's the opinion of the Sifra. This is the way the Rambam paskins as well. And the Rambam learns that this is what the Gemara is saying. According to the Rambam, Rebeliezer disagrees. Rebeliezer says that plated vessels could become tame, and that's why he has a different rationale as to why the Mizbeachs did not need to be toivled. But according to the majority and according to the Chachamim, um, a, plated, a plated vessel cannot become tame, right? Being that it's plated, being that they are plated, uh, automatically it is impossible for the Mizbeach to, it's impossible for the Mizbeach to become tame. And the way the Rambam would understand the term of the Gemara that it says that the plating is like nullified in comparison to the Mizbeach is that the Rambam explains when a vessel is plated it cannot become tummy because the plating itself uh, the actual metal that it's coated with can't become tummy because it's nullified in comparison to the keli like it itself is not it does does not have much value it's just this thin little coating and it itself is uh, is considered bottle and the plating 
plate and the and the Kaylee that it is covering also cannot become tame because as we explained the uh, the coating sort of serves as that barrier which prevents it from becoming tame so that's the way the Rambam that's the way the Rambam paskins um, and this is the way that he interprets the Gemara. Basically, the real major difference between Rashi's interpretation and the Rambam's opinion is that according to Rashi, the Chachamim hold that as a general rule, a plated vessel can become tummy. Right, if it's uh, you have a vessel plated with gold or silver, copper, or whatever other metal, as a general rule, it can become tummy. But the mizbeach is an exception because the Torah calls the mizbeach eitz; it calls it uh, wooden, and the mizbeach is an exception. Uh, however, the Rambam interprets the Gemara differently. According to the Rambam, the Chachamim learn that a plated vessel can never become tummy, even if it's not whether it's the mizbeach or anything else. A plated vessel can never become tummy. That's the major difference between them. Now, in truth, if you go back to the wording of the Gemara, Rashi's opinion is more glatt. It's more smooth. It does fit much better with the actual terminology or the back and forth um, of the Gemara, right? Because Rashi basically says that there's a conversation between the Chachamim and Rebbe Liezer. And the Chachamim said to Rebbe Liezer, my daitech, right? Explain your rationale. Why did you need the proof of a karka mishum de mitzupin, right? You think that because it's played, uh, you think because it's plated, um, you know, it, it could become tame, right? We agree. As a general rule, plated vessels could become tame. However, over here, may bottle, bottle, sipuyin gabayhu. In the case of the mizbeach, the plating is considered bottle and nullified and cannot make it tame. So Rashi's opinion actually really fits very smoothly and very nicely within those words of the Gemara, whereas the Rambam's opinion is a little bit more of a stretch. Like it just doesn't fit as well um, in the Lashon and in the Peshat of the Gemara. So the Rebbe over in this Sicha wants to understand more the Rambam's approach and why the Rambam understands the Gemara in this way. In order to understand the Rambam's approach, the key to understanding it will be in the fact of knowing who Rebbe Liezer is. The Rebbe Liezer that we're talking about is actually Rebbe Liezer ben Hurkunus, who is given a nickname somewhere in Gemara where he's called Rebbe Liezer Shamusi. Uh, there's a couple of reasons why. One reason why he's called Rebbe Liezer Shamusi is because he actually uh, learned in Beis Shammai. He learned in the Academy of Shammai. He was part of uh, the students of Shammai, and he followed the approach and the opinions and the shita of Beis Shammai. So this, that's, this is the Rebbe Liezer we're talking about. Now, Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel famously uh, constantly had many arguments, right, and were constantly disagreeing regarding the halachos of many, many different, uh, many, many different things. And when you start looking at or analyzing the different machloikasin of Beis Hillel and Beis Shammai, um, often you can see that there is a common thread or a common theme running, uh, running between these arguments. Um, we say that Beis, they both had each, each, 
each one of Beis Hillel and Beis Shammai had their own shita. They had their own specific approach. The way they the way they view Torah, the way they paskin halacha. They had their own general approach. Um, and very often, the reason why they disagree in so many different areas is because not because of not necessarily because of that particular situation per se, but more because they're going as we say lishitase. They're going according to their approach, meaning they have a general way that they view the world and that they view Tyra, and they're paskining based on that uh, that common denominator or that general approach. So let's understand what is the major difference between the Shita of Beis Shammai and the Shita of Beis Hillel. See how that plays out in many different arguments of theirs, and then we will apply this to the argument over here between base between Rebeliezer, who is from Beis Shammai, and the Chachamim, who are going according to Beis Hillel. Okay, so there are other sikhahs where the Rebbe explains uh, the are some certain machlokes and certain arguments between uh, Shammai or Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel uh, based on a different sort of shita. Over here in this sikha, the Rebbe focuses on what we'll call Klal and Prat. And the Rebbe explains that Beishamai, when they paskin halacha, their shita, their approach, is that the main thing that we, the main thing that they look at and the main thing that they go by is the Klal, the general rule. Whereas Beis Hillel, the main thing that they look at when paskining halacha is they say you have to look at the Prat. You have to look at the details. Meaning Beishamai says that not, not uh, the Be- Be- Shammai says that the, when, you, when, you, when you want to understand and paskin halacha, um, what's more important, more important than all of the details or classifications or the context or the reasons or causes, what's most important is what is the general the general definition? What are you actually dealing with? What's in front of your eyes, right? That general basic um, first impression that you have. Not that Beishamai wasn't deep, like they, not that they didn't care to look at the details or they didn't care to understand things um, on a deep level. They were extremely deep. They were extremely sharp. In fact, they were generally considered to be more sharp than base Hillel, but their shita approach is that when it comes to halacha, the ikr, the thing that's koiveya, the main thing is to go based on the cloud, based on that general impression and what you are actually dealing with right now in front of your eyes, right? There's a rule that when it comes to judges, that the dayan, the judge, can only, basically should only go by what his eyes are seeing. Like, what is the evidence? What are you seeing in front of you? I'd say that's what, that's what uh, Shammai said. The main thing in halacha is just to look at basically what's going on, what are you seeing, what are you hearing what's going on here and now that general impression the cloud whereas Hillel says okay when I'm when we decide halacha what I'm focusing on is not this is not the general definition or the general impression per se but the focus the ikr the main thing is the details right to understand really to really break down what's going on the details the um, the classifications or uh, the the motivation the causes, the effects, um, to really understand more background, context, all of that. And that is actually more important than the cloud, than that general impression. 
Okay, so how do these shittas play out in actuality? Over here in this sicha, the Rebbe is going to bring six different examples, six machloikasin between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel, um, choosing one from each seder, from each section of Mishnayis, and we'll see how this is a common thread between their arguments. So starting off, this is in Oishei, the Rebbe says in the first seder in Seder Zeraim, in Masechus Brachos, there's an argument between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel regarding what t- nusach to say when you are making the bracha over Eish, over the candle on Moitzah Shabbos. So Beis Shammai says that you should say the bracha, the bracha that you should say is Shebara Me'or Ha'esh, right? Blessed is Hashem who created the light of the fire. And Beis Hillel says that you should say Bayre Me'orei Ha'esh, who created the lights of the fire. Meaning the difference is Beis Shammai says or in singular, whereas Beis Hillel uses a plural form, the lights. Um, the Gemara explains what's the argument over here. It says Beis Shammai, according to Beis Shammai, there is, here say light in singular, because there is only one light, meaning there is only one color in a flame. Whereas Beis Hillel says you say Ma'oyrei, lights in plural, because there are actually many different colors and many different shades in a flame, in a fire. Now the Rebbe asks, what's going on over here in this argument? Like, how can they have such an argument? Because anybody who takes a very good look at a candle, at a flame, will notice that there are, in fact, many different colors. And there isn't only one color. So how are they even having this argument? Okay, based on what we explained regarding their shittas, we can understand it. Beishamai says, when it comes to halacha, the main thing that we go by is the cloud. That basic, general, first impression. Um, so the re- reason why we're making a bracha on candle on the flame is we make a bracha when you begin, when you are able to, when you begin appreciating the candle, right? When you uh, are able to start enjoying and appreciating the candle, then we make a bracha to thank Hashem for it. Now, when you appreciate, when you start appreciating the candle, when you first see it, when you get that initial first impression, you just look at it, you see a flame, you're not yet noticing the different colors and the different shades. You just notice one thing, like that basic the, the, the basic fire, like that one color or whatever, um, that is the general impression that you get. And that's what you're making a bracha over. You're not making a bracha over all the, you know, the many different shades in it. It's just that basic appreciation for fire. Um, whereas Basilo says the main thing is to look at the details. Um, when you look at fire well, you look closely at it, you notice that there are many, many different, there are many different uh shades, many different colors within that flame. So the appreci- you're, you're making a bracha when you appreciate the, f- for, because you're appreciating and enjoying the flame. Now the flame that you're appreciating has many colors in it. Um, so that's, that's why Beis Hillel, uh, the Beis Hillel chooses a nusach in which we say, right? We're saying, uh, we're, we're using the plural um, because again, when you focus on the pratim, we say, no, there are many shades in the flame flame that you are enjoying and appreciating. That's the first example that the Rebbe brings down. Now in Oisavov, we bring in another example from a Mishnah from Seder Nashrim, a Mishnah in Mesechus Ksubos. And in this Mishnah, the, um, the Mishnah is discussing Ketzad Meraktin Lifneha Kala. <coughs> How do you dance before a Kala? Because it was traditional that <coughs> at a wedding, 
when uh, when a chassan and kala got married, um, and people would dance before a kala and basically sing the kala's praises. So um, the the mission is discussing what would you say, what sort of uh, what what sort of words would people say when they would dance before the kala. So over here, here again, we have another machlokes that Beishamai Omri and Beishamai says you should say kala kamoishehi, the kala as she is, meaning uh, praise her according to the advantages that you see. Right, if she's beautiful. You can say that she's beautiful. If she's distinguished in some way, you can talk about her. Uh, you could talk about her, um, you know, her yichos, her accomplishments, right? If there's this very obvious advantage uh, that she has, then praise her according to the mylois that you see in her. Whereas Basilel Oimrim, Kala, Basilel says, gives a standard nusach, one standard nusach to say for every single wedding that you should say, Kala no vachasuda. This is a Kala who is pleasing and chasuda, uh, you know, who's pleasing and uh, graceful or charming, right? There are different ways that you can, tr- you can translate it. Now, Beishamai says, how can you say that? How can you give this set nusach? I mean, what if the Kala has this obvious disability? What if she's blind? What if she's lame, right? And, and you're going to say, oh, this Kala is so pleasant and is so charming or so graceful. Like, Midbar Sheker Tirchak, you're not allowed to lie. So how can we just give this set Nusach if there are some Kalas that do not appear to be Noah Vachasuda? And Hill responded, Beis Hill responded, that um, based on what you're saying, so he's, Beis Hill said that you know, if somebody goes to the market, um, let me just read the words, if somebody goes to the market and he purchases bad merchandise, meaning he purchased something that you don't like, uh, that you don't think is nice or that you don't think is very good, what would you do? You should praise it to him or should you, um, or, or, or should you like, you know, uh, I don't know what the right word would be, or should, should you say bad things about the merchandise? Meaning what's the appropriate thing to to do. So if you, let's say, have somebody that, uh, you know, somebody that you know that went shopping and bought a coat or bought some, or, or, or bought some sort of outfit that she liked, um, should you, is the, is the proper thing to do to, uh, for you to, like, and you don't like it, right? Should, should you say, oh, that's gross, it's disgusting, it looks horrible, or is the proper thing to do to say something nice? Because, that's what the person bought. That person obviously bought it for a reason and the person liked it. Um, so obviously the right thing is to, the right thing to do would be to praise, to say something nice about the merchandise. So that's what the Mishnah says. Now, the Rebbe says, okay, let's understand a little bit more what's going on in this argument. Because surely Hillel, base Hillel, agrees that midvar sheker tirchak, that you're not allowed to lie. And surely base Shammai also understands that if somebody buys something uh, in the market that you don't like, you should say something nice about it, right? So wh- what exactly is their argument? Um, and the Rebbe explains that, again, they're going according to this basic approach, that Beis Shammai says that the bottom line, the main thing that you look at is the klal, right? That general basic impression that you have, uh, that, that the general first impression that you have. Now, when you're dealing with, uh, when you're looking at somebody who's got an obvious clear disability, that general impression that you have is not that she's a kalanova chasuda, right? And if the main thing that you're going with is that klal, that basic first impression, then it would be a lie to say kalanova chasuda. Whereas Beis Hillel says, the main thing you need to focus on 
is the prat, right? Think, don't, don't just look at what's in front of your eyes right now or that first impression that you have, but, but think about more of the details. Think about the context. Think about the, uh, th- think about background causes. Like you need to think about these details. The fact that this kala is getting the chasin, this chasin is marrying this kala, even though maybe in your eyes, she seems to be flawed. She seems to be disabled in some way means that in his eyes, she's no vachasuda. Meaning if this is, if we're, it's, this is compared to a merchandise, he, so to speak, uh, chose this merchandise, meaning he chose to marry her. Obviously in his eyes, she is pleasant in his eyes. She is charming. Um, it, you know, even if that's not the way that you feel about it. And when you think about it and when you kind of, uh, see things from the Hassan's perspective, when you put it in that context, uh, when you look at those details, you understand that in truth, this is the most Nava Hasuda. The Kala is the most pleasant um, person for this particular Hassan, right? For the for this particular person, um, this is this is a wonderful match, and this is a perfect match, and she's Nava Hasuda uh, in his eyes. Um, and that's why for Be- from Beis Hillel's perspective, it is absolutely not a lie to say Kala no Vahasuda, even in front of a Kala who's got this obvious or glaring flaw or this obvious disability. Um, now, actually, interestingly, the continuation of this Gemara is that the Gemara learns that Mikan, Mikan Amru Chachamim from here, based on this teaching of Beis Hillel, the Chachamim learn that that a person should always uh, should always like mix or should always uh, should always like be connected and should always mix with every creation. Now the way the Rebbe explains and, and other the basic explanation of this is that a person you should always be kind to everyone and you should always treat people in the way that they want to be treated and speak to them in a nice way and in the way that they want to be spoken to. That's just the basic interpretation. Um, the Rebbe learns the what the Rebbe learns out from here is that <clears throat> How can right this what we learn from base Hillo is that in order to be able to really like connect to people in order to be able to really uh, in order to be able to really unite with people right that you should be oreves in habrios in order to uh, that you should be able to connect to even people who are not that great and that don't have uh, very positive traits that don't have obvious mylos people that we consider to be brios that their only advantage is that they are created of Hashem and they don't have any other obvious mindless to them in order to be able to uh, connect to people in that way you need to go by you need to be able to look at things from the das, from the perspective of the other person. You need to really be able to just understand who you're dealing with, understand the other person's perspective and where they're coming from. And when you look at people in that way, when you look at things in that context, then you can really, you, you can really uh, connect to other people. Then you can really empathize with other people. Then you can really, uh, then you can really unite with them. So that's the, that's just a, a nice uh, lesson that the Gemara learns out from here. Okay, so another example where we see this shita of Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel, the shita of whether you're focusing on the klal or whether you're focusing on the prat.
Now, for the next example, which will be from Seder Nezikin and Maseches Edios, uh, what is actually unique about this example is that uh, this is not an argument between the uh, students of Shammai, Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel, but this is actually an argument between Shammai and Hillel themselves. And the other thing that's interesting over here is that this is an example, one unique example, where Hillel actually paskins more strictly than than Shammai. Usually Shammai, Hillel is more lenient, but in this case, Hillel actually as pas paskins more strictly. Now, what is the context of this? Uh, the context of this halacha. The context is that we're talking about if a woman has a ri'ia, meaning she sees blood and she realizes that she got her period. So the question is, from what point, from what time do we consider this woman to be tmea? And this is a really important question because, especially back in the times of the Beis Hamikdash. You had many things which we call taharois, meaning something which was set aside for kaihanim um, or for for the base hamikdash. This is this had a holy status, and you were not allowed to touch a taharois. If you touched a, uh, touched some of these items while you were tame, you made those items tame as well. So it was really important. It's really important to know from what point the woman becomes tame, because if she touched taharois at that time. Then she then she sort of messed up and made all of those taharois tummy. Um, so at what from what point did she, does she become tummy? So what what is uh, what does the Mishnah say? The Mishnah says Shamay Oimer Shamay says Kol Hanoshim all women Dayon Shaiton. We can suffice with the sha, with the Shah with the moment that they got their period, meaning the moment that they had Reiya from when they saw blood and they realized that they had their period. We suffice with that. In other words, their tummy from that moment on, but before they saw blood, they're considered to be, the woman is considered to be Tahira. Base Hillel, on the other hand, not Base Hillel, sorry, Hillel himself has a stricter opinion. And Hillel Oimer, Hillel says, Mifkida lifkida. We go according to the last clean bedika. Afilu liyamim harbe, even if it was many days earlier. In other words, Hillel said that we consider her to be tame from right after her last clean bedika. So before she did her last clean bedika, she's considered tahira. And after she finished that last bedika, clean badika, we consider her to be Tmea, even if that last clean badika was a while before she actually saw blood, was many days before she actually, uh, many days before she actually had that re'iyah. Now the Gemara explains what's the rationale, right? What's going on over here? Why does Hillel have this stricter opinion? So the Gemara explains that in general, there's a rule of called Hame Davar Al that when you're not sure of the status of a particular thing, we just go by, we established it, we establish the status based on the Chazaka, based on the presumed status. Um, so over here too, not sorry, Shammai says the reason we, uh, the reason why we consider the woman to be just from the re'iya is because we go, we we are we uh, uh, the the woman is going according to her chazaka, meaning um, before she sees blood, before she actually realizes that she has her period, the chazaka, the presumption is that she's tahira. We have no reason to presume or to assume anything otherwise until that re'iya. So we're going by the chazaka, by the presumed status, until the re'iya, she has a chazaka of being tahira. Whereas Hillel says this. 
this doesn't apply. Even though there's a rule of Hamedavar al Chaskasai, it does not apply in this situation of a woman becoming Nida. Why? Because when a woman becomes Nida, she has a Reuso Migufe, meaning there's a weakening in her body. In other words, this is a natural. This is a natural state and a natural occurrence for a woman that a woman has a monthly cycle, right? This is just considered a natural, uh, a natural way that women were created, um, that at some point there's almost like this weakening in their body um, and they have this cycle that blood comes out, right? So being that this is just the natural reality and the way that things work, we can't just say, oh, she has a chazaka of being, she has a chazaka of being tahira until she sees blood. Uh, we can't say that because... She doesn't really have a chazaka of being tahira, right? There's this natural reality that she could technically start, uh, so that that she could, that she her cycle could start, um, you know, at some point at some point beforehand. Um, and we can't just assume and say that her, her the chazaka or the stat, the presumed status is that uh, is that she's tahira. So the Rebbe explains that over here too, Shammai and Hillel are going according to their shita, to their approach. Uh, Shammai's approach is that the main thing that we're looking at is the klau, meaning that basic first impression. In other words, what are you seeing now? What are you dealing with right now? And the general impression is that when a woman sees blood and knows that she has her period, she is Tahira, and beforehand she's not, right? She doesn't really have a reason to assume otherwise. Um, whereas Hillel says... No, we really have to focus primarily on the details, not just on what are you looking at or what are you seeing and dealing with right now, but also looking at the general background, the broader context, the causes, meaning when we say a woman sees blood, this is not just some some freak occurrence this is uh this is considered this is an outcome of a natural of uh, this is an outcome of 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 something a, a natural a natural system that hashem uh, that hashem put in the woman's body that naturally yeah she does um often there are all different times that she is prone to bleeding and to um and and to, and to, and to menstruating and therefore we can't just assume that she's tahira that she has a chazaka of being tahira if she has not yet actually notice if uh, she hasn't yet actually noticed any blood right so also again continuing along with this approach of are you looking at just that general basic impression what you're dealing with right now or are we focusing on the uh, all of the details and the background the context etc for our next example, we're going to look at Seder Moed um, in Masechah Shabbos and what's interesting what's unique about this example is that it's it's also an example with Hillel and Shammai themselves, um, as opposed to, you know, Bey Shammai or Bey Hillel. And this is actually a story, a story that it says in Masechah Shabbos, um, fairly, fairly, uh, f- fairly famous, um, the stories of different people that approached uh, first Shammai and then, and then uh, Hillel requesting to be Megayer, requesting to be converted on a certain condition. And there are three different stories. One person approached Shammai and then Hillel and said, convert me on condition that you teach me only the written Torah, only Torah Shebech Sav. Um, and the second person came, approached them and said, I want to convert only on the condition that you will, uh, that you'll teach me the whole Torah while standing on one foot. Uh, the third person approached them and asked, Gaiarini, right, convert me, on condition that you will appoint me as Koyen Gadol. Right, so each one of them came with a very strange and very inappropriate condition. When they approached Shammai, Shammai 
Shammai chased them out. He said, absolutely not. Whereas when they approached Hillel with the same condition, Hillel accepted them and uh, started learning with them. And ultimately they became true Geirim. Now, uh, you know, each one of them again has its, has, has, is elaborated upon and has, uh, has more to the story of how, what exactly Hillel told them um, and how he taught them, etc. But, uh, you know, this is a, this is quite a long sikha that I don't really have time to have time to go into it. But over here, the, the, the Rebbe asks a question. He says, this is very strange, this story. And w- what's going on over here? Because we know that there is a rule that we don't just accept converts. We don't just accept Gerim easily. Um, especially if a Ger is coming and says, convert me on condition, right? Starts giving terms and conditions, especially such an inappropriate condition. Uh, it's certainly, uh, it certainly does not seem proper to just go ahead and embrace that person um, and accept them and accept them as a ger. So how could Hillel uh, accept these people um, immediately, just accept them without, you know, when they're coming with such ludicrous sort of conditions? And at the same time, if there was a good reason for Hillel to accept these people, and we do see that they did in fact become pious Jews, they became like a ger tzedek, uh, then how could Shammai push them away? So what exactly is going on um, in, these, in, in these stories? And let's understand the approaches of both Shammai and Hillel based on what we've explained earlier. Shammai says that when judging something, right, when trying to make a determination, the main thing that you go by is the cloud, the basic impression of what you are seeing, what you are hearing right now. The basic impression that you would have from such a person when they come, when this person comes before and says these words, convert me in order that I should, you know, and only if you teach me or only if I become etc., is that this is not appropriate, right? This is not a proper gear. This is not a proper conversion. And this is not appropriate. Whereas Hillel says, the main thing that you're looking at is that it's not just that basic impression of what you're seeing and what you're hearing or dealing with right now, but you really have to uh, primarily look at the details. Um, and understand like background, where this is coming from, motivation, why the person is saying what they're saying, right? You really have to primarily look at those details. And when Hillel looked at um, and understood these people, where they're coming from, why they were uh, using such expressions, like, you know, when Hillel really looked at and focused on those details, he recognized that these people really were very sincere in their intentions, uh, that they really did want to sincerely convert um, and the reason why they came with such uh, with with uh, you know with in using such uh, conditions that seemed so inappropriate was just some sort of side reason um, but in truth they really were sincere um, and be, being that this was Hillel's whole approach to focus primarily on those pratim and on those sorts of details um, from Hillel's perspective it was it was acceptable um, and it was the proper thing to to just accept to accept these people as gerim and to start learning with with it. So that's another interesting example that we see from Mesechas Shabbos. Now, for our next example, this will be this is we're in Ois Tes. This would be in Seder in Seder Kodshim, um, in Mesechas Chulin. So we're this is an example actually talking about some of the halachas of Kashros or the halachas of uh, Basar Bechalov. And we know that we are not allowed to uh, mix meat, uh, meat and milk together, or even chicken and milk together, right? You're not allowed to uh, eat that. You're not allowed to mix that together. The 
question that this Mishnah is dealing with is, are you allowed to have chicken and meat on the same table, right? If you're not eating them together, are you allowed to have them on the, are you allowed to have them on the same table? So the Mishnah, and again, over here, we've got a difference of opinion between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel. Um, the Mishnah says, Chicken is allowed to be on the same table as cheese, but they're not allowed to be eaten together. That's the opinion of Beis Shammai. Beis Hillel, Beis Hillel over here actually, interestingly, has a stricter opinion. Beis Hillel, Beis Hillel says, You're not allowed to bring them up on the same table and you're not allowed to eat them meaning not only may you not eat them together you they may not even be on the same table what's the different why why do we have these different opinions because again Beishamai says you're looking primarily at the cloud like what are you like what are we dealing with right now right just that general impression what are you dealing with right now you're dealing with chicken and cheese being on the same table is there any prohibition for having chicken and cheese on the same table no, that's allowed. You're not allowed to eat them, but they may be on the same table. Whereas Hillel says, no, we can't just look at, we can't primarily focus on the klal, but we really need to focus on the prat. We need to focus on the entire context and what this might lead to, right? What this, uh, if you do this, right, this can be a cause for a certain outcome. This can lead to a certain negative outcome. So Basil says, listen, if you're going to put chicken and cheese on the same table, um, this is not allowed to be eaten together. Human beings are fallible. They make mistakes. They have a yetzer hara. And there is a likelihood that if they're on the same table, you might end up eating them together. They might, they, and, and therefore, it's not allowed. You may not even have them on the same table. And so that's another, um, another example where we see that same sort of approach between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel. And for our sixth example, um, in Oisiod, we bring an example from Seder Taharois in Maseches Kalim. Now, Maseches Kalim in general, what it does is that it goes through all different types of objects or different types of vessels and explains whether they could become Tameh or not. So over here in this Mishnah, um, the Masechta discusses an object which we'll call, which is called mitbachoy sfarim, meaning cloths that are used to hold sfarim, um, books or scrolls. Then they, at that back then, they didn't really have bound books like we have nowadays. It was generally like scrolls, um, and often they would have these cloths that they would put the books into. They, they would put the books into. Generally speaking, was to protect the books, right? Um, perhaps it could be. I guess what would be most similar nowadays to, let's say, when people have a Megillah and they'll have this cardboard case or something that they'll put the Megillah into, um, or sometimes this slip case that you'll put a nice set of books into, right? That's uh, I, I, perhaps the modern day version of the Mitbachos Farm. Of course, back then they didn't have cardboard, so they had some other sort of fabric or material that they would often use to store different Sfarim in. So could these Mitbachos Farm, could they become Tame or not? And over here, again, we've got a machlokes between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel. So the, the Mishnah says, Whether they are decorated, whether they're designed, or whether they are not designed, they can become that is the opinion of Beis Shammai. Whereas Beis Hillel says, they've got a little 
little bit of a more lenient opinion, mitsuyarois to hoirois, if these if these fabrics are designed, then they cannot become tame. They're tahar, right? They can't become tame. Vishaino mitsuyarois, but if they are not designed, uh, then tmeyois, then they could become tame. Now, this uh, Mesech's Kalim actually does not have a Gemara on it. We don't have Talmud Bavli explaining it. But there is an explanation. The Raga Chavar actually does explain this Mishnah and explains the reason between the Machlaikas, between Beis Shabbat and Beis Hillel. And he explains this based on a certain, actually, explanation of the Ravid, where the Ravid explains the difference between what we call a tik or a chifoy. A tik basically means a case, and a chifoy is a covering. Now, what's the difference between a case and a covering? A case is something that you use in order to protect something, right? If you want something to be protected or preserved, then you'll put it in a case. Um, whereas the chifoy, the covering, is referring to, um, it was referring to a covering that is used basically for um, for design, right? Because you want something to you want something to look nice, so you have a nice covering for it. Now, there's a big halachic difference between the tik and the chifoy, because when you have a case, if you're use if when when you have a case that you're using to protect a certain to protect a certain object, um, halachically this falls into a, a category of what's called misham she adam, meaning something which has a practical practical usage, which people use for a practical purpose. Um, and if it's used, if, if this is a Masham Shei Adam, then it could become Tame. That's the Halacha. So if, so if you're using, if you have a case, right, it's being used for a practical purpose, it could become Tame. Whereas something that we'll call a Chifoy, right, that's just there as a more like decorative cover is not there for a practical purpose. It's not there to serve a practical purpose. It's just what we'll call Linoi for beauty, uh, more of a decoration or an accessory and decorations and accessories cannot become tummy. So there's a big halachic difference between them. And this is the reason behind, this is the uh, reason behind the machloikis between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel. Because uh, Beis Shammai says like this, whether, uh, sorry, the, the, um, Beish, uh, so that's, sorry, so when you have a mitbachos farm, when you have a uh, cloth that you use to cover sfarim, um, Beis Hillel believes that there's a big difference between if the cloths are designed or not. If the cloth has a design, has some sort of pretty pattern on it, then we assume that the goal is, the purpose is for, uh, for, for decoration, right? That you want to beautify the safer, you like the way it looks. The purpose is just more of an accessory and to beautify, uh, to beautify this safer or whatever. And therefore, it cannot become tummy. Whereas, um, if it's for the, if it's not designed, right, it's not particularly nice looking. Then you're using it for a practical purpose. It's like that misham she adam, and it could become tummy. So, uh, Beis Hillel makes this distinction between different types of coverings, whereas Beis Shammai does not make the distinction. Why does Beis Shammai? not make any distinctions. So the Rebbe explains, again, Beishamai's whole approach is just to look and focus primarily on the cloud. It says, what's the general rule? What is the clawless dikageder? The general definition of this 
cloth of, of this fabric bag or whatever. The general definition is that it's a mitpacha svarim. It's a mitpacha svarim, right? It's a cloth that's used to hold svarim. A cloth that's used to hold svarim um, protects the safer. Like that's the general definition of what it is. A cloth of a, a cloth for svarim um, is there to hold, to contain, to protect a certain safer. That's just the, that's again, the closest it can gather the general definition. And Beishama says, I'm not even going to start making any differentiation, whether it looks nice, whether it doesn't look nice, it's designed or not. It all fits under that general umbrella, that general category of uh, a, a safer covering, right, of, of a, 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 something that contains farum and that protects it. Whereas Beis Hillel says, okay, I'm not just focusing on the general definition, but you really have to start looking at the details. Um, and there really is a distinction. There are different types of cloths that you'll hold farum in. There can be, uh, there, 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 there's a distinction between them, right? Some of them, the designed ones, the decorated ones we assume are there for uh, beauty as some sort of accessory and they don't become tame and the ones that aren't decorated okay that's there to serve a practical purpose but if you're focusing on the details then you would make distinctions between the different types of uh, between the d- different types of svarim covers whereas if you're just focusing on the general definition and the general rule you would not make any such distinctions so that's what's going on in this Mesechda. So, so far we have, we've gone through, um, we've talked about what the general shita of both Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel are. Uh, Hillel are. Uh, we've gone through six different examples from six different places uh, in the Mishnah where we see this common theme throughout. Uh, interestingly, the Rebbe points out in the Ha'aras, um, and there are different sikhas which, which this is also brought out, is that wherever, uh, that, that, you know, even though we say that there's this general theme throughout all of these disagreements, right? Klal and Prat, um, each one has its own uniqueness. Srichusa is the, is the uh, expression the Rebbe uses. Each one is necessary, meaning the Mishnah still needs to point out that there is this disagreement between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel, and we can't just sort of assume that that's what they would say based on their general approach, because each one of these arguments does have its own uniqueness and does have its own chidosh. Um, the Rebbe discusses that a lot in the footnotes. So if you'd like to, you can have a you can have a look at that. But now in Oysir Aleph, we can get back to the actual uh, Mishnah or Gemara that we were originally dealing with, and now we can understand it on a deeper level. Right? If you remember, we were learning it was a Mishnah regarding the Mizbechois and if they could become Tame and the disagreement between or why they can't become Tame and the disagreements between Rebbe Eliezer and the Chachamim and we were so we wanted to specifically understand the Rambam's approach and why the Rambam understands the Mishnah and the Gemara in the way that he does even though it doesn't fit that smoothly in the wording of the of the Gemara and the Rebbe says why is the Rambam why, why does the Rambam take this approach why does the Rambam understand the Gemara in this way. Because when the Rambam looks at this Gemara, he sees that Rebbe Eliezer, right, we're talking about Rebbe Eliezer, who is from Beis Shammai. He's a student of Shammai. He goes according to the Shita and the approach of Shammai. The Chachamim, on the other hand, are going according to the approach of Beis Hillel. And when you understand that, that we're talking about Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel, that each have their own, their two different Shitas, that's when the Rambam's interpretation makes 
makes a lot of sense. Why? Let's understand this. So we say, Reb Eliezer, who is part of Beis Shammai. And Beis Shammai's approach is to sp- primarily focus on the klau, on the general definition. What am I looking at? What is the general definition of what you're dealing with? So Reb Eliezer says, when we are looking at the Mizbechos, whether it is the Mizbech HaZohov, the Golden Mizbech, or the Mizbech HaNachoshis, the Copper Mizbech, right? The general definition of what it is, is that this is the Golden Mizbech, or this is the Copper Mizbech. That is the name that the Torah gives it. That's the general name that we call it. We call the entire Mizbech the Golden Mizbech. We call the entire Mizbech the Copper Mizbech. That is the Klolos Dike Geder. That is the general uh, definition of this object. If that's the general definition of the object, can a golden Kaylee become Tame? Yes. Can a copper Kaylee become Tame? Yes. So if we're looking at specifically the general defin- the general definition of these objects, of these Mizbachos, then we then then even though they're plated, it doesn't matter. It's called a golden Mizbeach. It's called a copper Mizbeach. It doesn't matter that the gold is only a very thin layer. Again, the general definition is Mizbeach Azov, Mizbeach Anachoshes. And therefore, we, uh, as a general rule, this should become Tameh. The only reason why the Mizbechais don't become Tameh, Rebbe Leazar finds another, another reason, right? Because the Pasuk also calls it Mizbech and it's compared to the earth, etc. Whereas the, because that, again, and this fits very much with, with Beis Shammai's approach of focusing on the cloud. Whereas the Chachamim, who are going according to Beis Hilo, and they say we need to focus on the Prat. We're not just looking at the general definition definition. We are focusing on the details. How do you break down that when you're looking at the Mizbeach, it's not just the general, this is the golden Mizbeach or this is the copper Mizbeach. There are parts. There are different parts of the Mizbeach. The Mizbeach has different components. There's the body of the Mizbeach, which is made primarily of wood. And then there's also the covering of the Mizbeach, which is plated, right? So it's not just, we're not just uh, saying, oh, Mizbeach has end of story. No, there are pratim, there are details to it. It's actually not just a golden mizbeach or not just copper. It's actually plated. And plated, some and a keli that's plated actually cannot become tameh, according to the Sifra. So that is, uh, that's again, uh, that's the Chachamim's approach. And this is the reason why the Rambam understands this Gemara in this way, this way, because he's really coming from the angle of looking, of, of saying this is an argument, again, going according to the Shitas of Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel. So it would make sense that Reb Eliezer defines the Mizbeah. Uh, by the general definition that it's gold, that it's that it's uh, copper, um, whereas uh, where, whereas uh, the chachamim uh, makes sense that they're focusing specifically on the details, and that the gold and the copper is just a uh, a very small part. It's just actually the coating and not the entire mizbeach. Um, in which case, it cannot become tummy. Uh, so there, here we have, again, sort of it's almost, I guess, finishing basically the first major section or the major part of the Sicha, um, where the Rebbe explains the Mishnah and the Gemara in the Sechas Chagiga. But here in Oisud Beis, the Rebbe says that when it comes to a Hadron, when you make a Masiyum on the Masechta, the Minhag is to connect the end of the Masechta with the beginning of the Masechta. So we just learned and analyzed the end of Masechas Chagiga. 
Chagiga. Now that we understood the end of Mesechas Chagiga, we can actually connect this with the beginning of Mesechas Chagiga. And we see that in the beginning of Mesechas Chagiga, the first Mishnah that the Gemara brings down, there's also a machlaikis between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel. And in this machlaikis too, we can see that same general approach. What's the machlaikis that's brought down? The beginning of Maseches Chagiga is discussing how, in, in this uh, this particular section, is discussing how when a person comes up, comes to the base Hamikdash for Yom Tif, right? For Ali Olerego, when he's Olerego, there were two carbonites that uh, that uh, that each person was required to bring. One of them is called the Oilas Reia, right? A special carbon of Reia, um, and the other carbon is called uh, uh, carbon Chagiga. Two different carbonis. And uh, the Mishnah is discussing how much, uh, how valuable do these carbonis need to be? How much do you need to spend? What's the minimum that you need to spend on these carbonis? So Beishamai, and here again we have an argument. So Beishamai Omrim, Beishamai says, For the carbon Re'iya, you need to pay at least two silver coins. But for the carbon Chagiga, you just need to pay one Ma'a. Meaning the carbon Chagiga, half that, I believe Ma'a is half the amount. The carbon Chagiga is is uh, worth less, but Beis Hillel says just the opposite. Beis Hillel, Beis Hillel says kesef. For the Reiya, you need to pay just one ma, just one silver coin. kesef, and for the carbon Chagiga, you need to pay two silver coins. So they've got these opposite opinions as to which carbon is more valuable. Now the Gemara explains that why, like why does Beis Shammai think that the Re'iya is the more valuable carbon and Beis Hillel think that the Chagiga is the more valuable carbon? What's the difference between them? The carbon Re'iya was an oila, meaning the entire carbon was burned on the Mizbeach. It was all consumed by Hashem, so to speak. Whereas the carbon Chagiga was a carbon Shlamim, meaning it was divided. Part of the animal was burned on the Mizbeach. Part of the animal was eaten by the and part of the animal was eaten by the Baalim, by the actual donor, the person that brought up, by the person that brought up the karma. Um, and that's why Beishamai says that the reason why the Re'iyah is more valuable is because it, it's entirely brought up to Hashem. It's the more valuable carbon. Whereas Beis Hillel says, Adraba, just the opposite. Chagiga Difa, the Chagiga is more important and is more valuable, the Isposhte Achilos. Because when it comes to the Chagiga, it's consumed two times. Hashem consumes it on the Mizbeach, and the people consume it as well. The rabbi explains what's going on over here. Why do they have these two different approaches? Beishamai, again, is going according to the klal, according to the basic, uh, the, the basic impression or the basic under, the, the general impression and the general understanding. The general understanding of a carbon is that it is an offering for Hashem, right? Something that you're bringing up and offering to Hashem. And based on this, it is logical that a carbon that's brought up entirely on the Mizbeach is more valuable and is more of like a perfect sort of carbon than a carbon that's only partially brought up on the Mizbeach to Hashem. Lugvoya is the expression, right? To on high, to Hashem. Um, whereas Beis Hillel, though, has a different perspective. He says, okay, I'm not just looking at a carbon in that general sort of way, but when you look at it in a more detailed way, you understand that a, a car- that it's not just the part of the carbon that's brought up on the Mizbeach that's an offering to Hashem, but even if we're talking about a carbon shlamim, which Hashem says, the Kayan 
Ganyan should get some of it. And Hashem says that the donor should eat some of it. All of those, this is all, each part of, uh, each part of that is a mitzvah, is fulfilling Hashem's will. And when the Kohen is eating his portion or the person is eating their portion, it's also considered a godly act. It's not, it's not just the, the portion being burned on the Mizbeach that's holy and godly and an offering to Hashem, but even the other Achilles are also considered like on high, are also considered this godly act, also considered a mitzvah. And if anything, there's an advantage that you've got sort of like a couple of mitzvahs that you're doing. Part of it's being brought on the Mizbeach, part of it a person is eating, and there is an advantage to that when you're looking at the carbon in this more detailed sort of, from this more detailed sort of perspective. Um, so that would be a very interesting connection between the end of the Masechta and the very and the very beginning of the Masechta. And over and and now in Ois uh, Yud Gimel we start really getting to the lesson because if you remember in the very beginning we said that when it comes to the base of Mikdash and the Mishkan it's not just the physical Mishkan or Mikdash but really it applies. There is this idea of making your own sanctuary in your own personal life wherever and whenever you wherever you may be whenever you may live. So we start getting to the real like of what can we learn from this uh, from this whole Gemara regarding the regarding the Mizbeach. And the Rebbe is going to learn the Hira from actually the very, very end of the, from very the very, very end of the Masechta. So we, what we were discussing until now is like almost the very end, meaning when we're talking about the whole Machloikas between uh, Rebbe Yezer and the Chachamim regarding why the Mizbechais do not become Tameh, so that's you know, almost the very end of the Masechta. And right after that, the Masechta finishes off um, with an interesting teaching, right? It says, base being that we're, t- we're talking about the Mizbeach, and we're talking about the coding of the Mizbeach, the, the, um, uh, the, 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 the Gemara ends off by saying, uh, from here we learned that, um, that the fire of Gehenim cannot rule over Talmidei uh, Chachamim, and it has a whole interesting Kalvachoymer from this. Uh, from from a creature called the salamandra. I'm not even going to go into that now. But the focus really is at the very end. We say, and where do we? Um, and and uh, from the mizbeach, we learn that the fire of Gehenim cannot rule over poishe Yisrael, even over the sinners of the Jewish people. We learn this from the mizbeach that just like the mizbeach um, has a just like the Mizbeach uh, has this, has has just a little bit of a gold or uh, gold or copper coating over it, right? It was basically wood, but it's got this little bit of a gold and copper coating, and yet, and you always have a fire burning on it, and yet the fire was never able to consume the Mizbeach. How much more so does the fire? Do the fires of Gehenim? We learned that the fires of Gehenim cannot uh, burn or cannot have control over Jewish sinners because Jewish sinners are full of mitzvahs like a remind. That's the general, that's the, uh, that, that's the, at least the pshat understanding um, of, the, of the Gemara. Now the Rebbe explains what's the Gemara saying here and what's the connection between this teaching and what we learned regarding the Mizbeach. So Rebbe says, what did we just learn regarding the Mizbeach, regarding the covering of the Mizbeach, at least according to the Rambam's approach? According to the Rambam's approach, what we learn is that even though the Mizbeach 
Mizbeach is covered with a metal that could become Tameh. The metal itself, gold, copper, that itself could become Tameh. Even though the Mizbeach is covered with that, with that metal, that metal is insignificant. It's nothing. It's bottle. It's, uh, that, that, that metal itself uh, is insignificant and it cannot, and, and it cannot become Tameh. Right, that's the, that's what we had just that's what we just learned. It's plated. It's just the plating. It's not the it's not the actual mizbeach, um, and it's in fact even prevents the mizbeach from becoming tamei. Right, according to the Raman, the metal itself is like it, it doesn't matter that it's coated with this metal. It can't become tamei. Now, from here, based on this, uh, we learn that a Russia, when you have a Jew who's a big sinner, a Russia, if the fires of Gehenim still cannot rule over him. Why? Because the, all of his sins and all of the bad things that he does is compared to the metal that covers the Mizbeach, right? It itself is, the metal itself, like I said, could become Tameh, but it's just considered a coating. It's this thin, superficial covering of the Mizbeach. It can't become Tameh. So all of these sins and these negative things that a Jew does is really not their true essence. It's not who they really are. The Jew is really like a Mizbeach, a completely pure, perfect uh, Mizbeach, an altar for Hashem and everything else that all of the negative things that he does is just this thin veneer and a superficial covering and therefore uh, really he's mali mitzvahs kariman he's full of mitzvahs and full of good deeds um, and therefore he cannot become tummy so that's the beautiful or at least the beginnings of the beautiful lesson that the Rebbe learns from this Gemara regarding uh, re- regarding the regarding the mizbechos or the covering, um, the plating of the mizbechos, and the Rebbe explains in Ois Yudalid that this really is the general approach of Hillel, meaning this whole idea of you know even when a Jew sins, that's insignificant the sins, and it's just like this superficial coating over the person that's not who he really is. That is absolutely the way that Hillel viewed every Jew. That's absolutely the approach of uh, the the approach of Hillel and. And uh, this fits actually very well with the, and we're actually going to focus specifically on a different Gemara that we brought earlier, the Gemara regarding the Kalanoa Vachasuda, where we said that Shammai says, you say Kala Kamoishahu, right? You say, as you just say the advantages, right? As you see the Kala, praise the Kala, however you see her, whatever you see her advantages as being. Whereas Hillel says, always, no matter what, just say Kalanoa Vachasuda. From this Gemara too, we can see the general approach of Hillel and how Hillel views every Jew in the most positive of lights. And the Rebbe says this also connects very much to the names of Shammai and Hillel. Shammai, the name Shammai um, comes from, it, it would uh, basically come from the expression of Hasham or Choysov, which means somebody who measures or assesses his ways. The whole idea of Shammai, Shammai is more a person of Gevura, a person of, of, of strictness, uh, very more, much more of a measured, uh, careful, a little bit of severity, right? A person of Gevura. So Shammai is a person, Sham or Choysub, that always assesses his ways. That when he looks at a person and when he looks at a Jew, he's like assessing that person and seeing, does he measure up? Right? Is he actually behaving properly? And based on the person's behavior, uh, that's how Shammai would sort of deal with that person. That's Shammai's approach. Hillel's approach, on the other hand, Hillel comes from the name Hillel comes from the expression of uh, Bahilu, Bahiloi Neroi, which means like his, his lamp is lit. 
Uh, Hillel is like what we call, an, uh, what we call uh, I guess what the Rebbe Rashab said, a lamplighter. That's his perspective. That he looks at every Jew in a way of a lamplighter to light his lamp. He looks at every Jew. He does not see the superficial layers. He looks at a Jew from his, he sees the neshama. He sees the plemius. He sees the perfection in every Jew. And when he looks at a Jew in that way, that helps to light the lamp. That helps to light the person's lamp and to bring out all of those qualities to the fore. Um, that's why, again, when Tzvei Shammai says, when you look at a kala, right, again, a kashem and the Jewish people are compared to a chasen and kala. They're compared to like a husband and wife. So when you look at the kala, when you look at the Jewish people, what does Shammai see? He says, he sees kala kamayshihi, the kala as she is. She actually is looking and assessing where are you holding? How are you doing? Are you measure, measuring up as she is, as you are behaving? Whereas when Hillel looks at the Kala, when Hillel looks at the Jewish people, he sees Kala no vachasuda, right? No matter what, even if there's a very obvious sort of disability, if there's a very obvious defect, Hillel looks, he looks in this way of a lamplighter and he sees Kala no vachasuda, a Kala who is pleasant, who's charming, he's graceful. Why, do, why does Hillel see a person in that way? Because he says, if a person purchases mercy, Merchandise that you don't think is good, what you're gonna you're gonna say something bad about it. Meaning, Hashem purchased us. Hashem chose the Jewish people. Vanu v'charta. Hashem chose the Jewish people. He looks at a Jew and he says, "This is a chosen. This is somebody who was chosen by Hashem. This is somebody who was chosen as Hashem's kala. If he's chosen as Hashem's kala, then of course this person has to be noe and chasuda and just wonderful and and, and just in in every way, right? That's who." This person is. That's the person's. That's the person's essence. Um, because again, the chosen Hashem chose chose this person, and that's why we learn in the continuation of the Gemara that um, we learn. We said from here we learn that a person should always be mi'oreves im habrios. A person should always like mix with all creations. Um, and the Rebbe explains this in a slightly different way over here. He says, how can we be like Hilo? How can we come to that level where when we look at a Jew, we just always, even if this person is really not a great person and has some really, really obvious flaws, we just look at him in this most positive light if we act in a way of mil revis and habrios, right? If, we, if when we see somebody, we really try to understand, like the Rebbe explained earlier, to understand their perspective, to look at them and understand where they're coming from, not just to look at what they're doing now um, or how they're behaving now, but to understand where they're coming from, how they're in such, how they have all of these nisyonas and such challenging situations. And when you see that, and when you see it in that context, then you can really, uh, then you can really look at a Jew in a very, very positive, a very positive sort of light. Um, and, uh, you know, you can see the person as a kalona of chasuda. And in Ois Tezvav, the Rebbe ends off with a beautiful, Beautiful hurrah. And he says, when your person sees a different Jew that is in a negative situation or is behaving negatively, uh, sometimes people, right, you can see the Jew, right? It's almost like a blind person or a lame person, right? This Jew has got some sort of clear spiritual or character defect. Um, so sometimes people can feel like, why should I have anything to do with him or her, right? This this person has a major issue. Why should I have anything to do with him or her? So Base Hillel says, no, why are you looking at that person with just superficial, with 
with those uh, physical superficial eyes. Don't just look at the appearance. Hashem chose this Jew. Hashem chose this as his merchandise. This person is certainly a kala na v'chasuda. And the reason why you picked up on a certain chisaron is because you have to be, you, you have to uh, light his lamp, right? You have to try to help him out. You have to try to uh, bring out all of those positive characteristics uh, to the fore. And in general, we know that nowadays we do not go according to Beis Shammai. We go according to Beis Hillel. In the times of Gullus, we go according to Beis Hillel because it's super important that even though that in this very challenging time when people are very far from perfect, that we look at a Jew from the perspective uh, from the perspective of Hillel, we see them for their neshama and we see them for their positive qualities, um, and in this way help to bring those uh, help to bring those qualities out and to express them um, in a very real way. But once Mashiach comes and everything is perf- everything is perfected, then we also go according. Then we can start going according to Beis Shammai, right? Then we can start actually you know assessing uh, what the Jew is like because then people will actually be actually behaving um, in a perfect way um, and in, a, in, in very clearly in the, most, uh, in, in the most proper and in the most positive ways.